Hi, I'm Dr. John Newfeld, and welcome to Truth and Life Today. I want to widen your horizon and see what Christ is doing throughout the world. Join me. It's important to face these realities because unless we do, we'll never know what to do next. I want to talk to you about mission, but rather than making this boring, let me say that everyone has a sense of identity. I mean, we have a people group that we belong to. I mean, living in Canada, we know that there's a beer that makes its ads by saying, I am Canadian. Um, so, and I know that, you know, I'm, I was born in this country and, and I'm, I'm thankful to be a Canadian. So many of us will say, you know, that's my number one identity. But there are others that'll say, you know, my number one identity is associated with either a musical group or maybe a sports team or, or something of that nature. But when we come to Christ, we're not only identified with Christ, but we're adopted into his family. And that means that the global family of God are our brothers and sisters. And our first identity when we're in Christ are the people of God around the world. Uh, that is to say, there are people today that are living in nations like North Korea, in nations like China. Uh, they're living sometimes in oppressed conditions and sometimes with freedom the way we relatively do in this country. But regardless of all of that, every single Christian will say that my first point of identity is with Jesus. And then my second point of identity is with all the people of God around the world. I've got a marvelous guest for us today. His name is Johann Matis. Uh, he's a German, came to Christ in Germany. Uh, he's as German as they get, but he is also an individual who's concerned about global missions. He's the director of something called Multiply Europe, and he has a grasp of the global Christian church. Uh, Johann will impassion you with the plight of believers in persecuted lands, but he will also impassion you with this great love for people who don't yet know Christ with a sense of mission, and with a sense of praying for those, our brothers and sisters, who are ministering uh, to people all around the world. I want you to hear his story. I want you to hear the passion of his heart. And I'm hoping that when you hear that, you're gonna say to yourself, you know, God, give me that passion as well. If you don't know Christ, you can come to know him today. You can say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Take my life and use it for the sake of your glory. Uh, if you know Christ today, you ought to see your life as a part of a grand and global mission that God gives you, and you ought to see your identity with the global people of God. I think Johann Matis and what God has given him to do, uh, starting with you know his work as a Bible smuggler when he was young, to his work with the global church today, will just arouse a new passion in your life. This is a great program. You're gonna love this. So join us. Truth and Life Today with an interview with a missionary by the name of Johann Matis. Welcome to Truth and Life Today. It's a joy to have with me Johann Matis. Uh, he is the director of Multiply, which is a missions organization in Europe and into Asia. And uh, Johann, I know you're not a stranger to this program. You've been on it before. And it's a delight to have you back. You've Thank you. shared your testimony with us. But I want to talk to you about your own mission and your calling to reach people who are living, um, I think, in very difficult circumstances where following Christ can cost you a lot. 
I think you started much of your mission's work as a Bible smuggler. The Soviet Union was still there, and Johann Matis was smuggling Bibles across the border. I think that's what you did in the 80s. When God called me into the Ministry of Mission, I knew there would be a long path of preparation. And I was already so passionate about mission that every day I was thinking, okay, um, what can I do today already? And what is called Bible smuggling, which is actually taking Bibles in secret ways across borders, um, was uh, available. The only thing you needed is the trust of the people involved, a driver's license and courage. And then love for the people who are behind the Iron Curtain in which the Bible was sometimes worth more than a monthly salary. So um, that became obvious that I could do that. And I have then been in most Eastern European countries, communist at the time in the 80s. So during that time period, was it illegal to have a Bible? Actually, it was illegal to probably have one. But to dis- to distribute Bibles, uh, or or the, like they were n- they were not being sold. So you know, most people in churches didn't have access to. One. Yeah, and and uh, I grew up myself in a family like that, in which it was a complete miracle when my oldest brother uh, was baptized. All of a sudden, he had a little new New Testament. Uh-huh. It was brought in somehow through a German little New Testament brought through Finland and. No one knows which way, but it hit us far in Central Asia, and we knew the value of the scriptures because when our persecuted forefathers were fleeing from country to country, most often the only thing they could bring from the old household was the Bible. I knew the treasure of it. So, yes, that's it. You understood when one's deprived of the Word of God, what it actually means to receive one, and somehow God must have laid that on your heart. You're now living in Germany. You have access to all the Bibles that you want. Yes. But you have remembered the people that you've left behind. And somehow God stirred your heart. I think it also, there was a, a, also the motivation to say, we will stand up to the communist teachings. Mm-hmm. And the way of standing up to it, you have no access to media. To There are no free parties and how do you stand up? Well, you strengthen the church. Go and encourage the brothers and sisters. And I've had the most intimate moments when uh, meeting these people behind the Iron Curtain and somewhere in the Slovakian um, mountains close to the Ukrainian border. And then it turns out, well, the pastor himself has been deported from his church. And he still being punished by the state, he was risking his freedom is still distributing Bibles, and someone in Germany knew about him. So he's deported, but he's coming back in with yeah. Bibles. Yeah, and uh, he was actually relocated within Czechoslovakia at the time, not allowing to continue his ministry in his church, but even in his the place where they put him, hid him away in the in the mountains. He was still in ministry, not huh. not bowing to the idols of his communist government. So so you decided to do this. I, I need to know from you, um, to, to actually be caught doing what you were doing, I think it was illegal, yeah. uh, to be caught, what would that have meant for you? I have friends who met each other on, on one of those trips. Yeah. Um, the, the way teams were set up was like two boys, two girls, or like, like it would be not, never a one-on-one, 
But during one of those trips, a boy met a girl and they got married. And then they said it would be the most appropriate thing for us to do our honeymoon on one more Bible smuggling trip. My. And they were caught. Everything was confiscated. They didn't see each other for three and a half months. But the testimony was she was released before he was, but he was treated somewhat of a VIP. And then he was in, in one prison cell with a son of a communist official from in Czechoslovakia. And when that young man became a follower of Christ in that cell, my friend was released the same day. Wow. And so we, when we prayed and fasted for his release, we prayed and fasted against God's will because he was there <laughs> to lead someone to Christ. Who, that could only happen in the jail. So, they, yeah, obviously everyone who was in smuggling activities would, would risk freedom and uh, all and kinds of And you understood that when you win. Maybe, uh, maybe later in life... Uh, I understood it even better. Um, I was caught in China a top, couple of times doing it, uh, smuggling bubbles out of Hong Kong. But um, I think the most risky operation ever was to go into East Berlin on a day visa with no visa for East Germany, which was the socialist German Democratic Republic, I guess was yes. the English name of it. Yeah, we call it DDR back then. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and to go into that country without a visa and smuggling money into an underground rehabilitation center for drug addicts when the state did not even admit they have drug addicts. Some Lutheran pastor was having this clinic and or a therapeutic center far into, and there I clearly risked with whoever collaborates with me to end up for 10 years in jail. I, and I later on thought, that people who encouraged me to do so, I volunteered, but people, I said, how can I help in East Germany? <laughs> and this is, they, they gave me this idea and I went Risk with it. 10 years of imprisonment, do that. Yes, and just support the underground work. But in China, when I was cut twice, um, I was carrying all kinds of Bibles on me in my bags and um, the story would be too detailed. I was caught and then uh, the, a, a border officer was kind of unwrapping the Bibles and putting them in stacks for my two bags. And then he, he was got, got tired of doing so. He said, now you empty your other bag. And while I was emptying this bag, I put some of the Bibles, not on the stack, but into the empty bag that the officer had emptied. Well, you put one in his bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in my other bag that was already empty. I see. So on, on my worst day, I still carried 25 Bibles into China. Oh, you did? On my worst day. And um, in my heart... I was not terrified by the border guard. I felt, compare your life to mine. What a privilege I have. I grew up in the communist uh, system like you are. But look at my life. I, uh, I, I, I treat my life as such a gift and such a privilege that I, uh, some of my adversaries, even in the communist lands, I felt just pity with them. And, um, and I think I still had compassion, even though when they were fulfilling their duty in preventing my ministry. We need to talk about something that happens so easily in the free world. You know, we have Bibles. I mean, there are Bibles galore. I mean, most Christian homes have three or four in them at least. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet a lot of Christians will allow the Bible to sit on a shelf um, and we won't read it. Um, Have you got a word to say to believers who have not valued their Bible what it actually means for believers in persecuted countries. When we talk about the church in North Korea, where to have a Bible is a, 
you know, it's, it's a crime against the state. A sister of my grandfather, Katarina Matis, grew up an orphan, but she had, had just a little bit of Bible knowledge, but otherwise no Christians around her. When I became a professor of missiology in the Academy of World Mission in Germany, I taught a class called Gospel in Change in Society. I invited her, she was now 90 years old, into my class. And I said, you know, I have four and a half thousand books, but I can still starve to death spiritually in all this splendor. How did you survive for decades without a church and without a Bible? And she said, I knew if a handful of scriptures by heart, I was always looking for someone who would know any more scriptures or maybe a verse from a song. And then I would scribble those texts on the margins of newspapers or any paper, and I would spread them. And over time, <laughs> uh, and over time, my knowledge of scripture grew, my knowledge of God grew. And at times I would whistle a Christian tune when new people arrived in the, in the first labor camp just to check whether someone would be there and though not. So every word of God coming, like we live, we every think we live by true. word. We think we live by, 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 by bread, but we don't live by bread alone. Every word that comes from God is life-giving. And, and so when we build this into our lives, when we let the word of God live richly among us, uh, there is, there, it's so life-giving. And I also would say to Christians, don't ever, don't let a day pass without turning to scriptures or you will starve. Yeah. So we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the plight of believers in persecuted lands today. So you want to stay with us right here on Truth and Life today. It's important to face these realities because unless we do, we'll never know what to do next. Welcome back to uh, an interview with uh, Johan Matis, uh, who is the director of missions in Europe. And uh, Johan, it's great to have you here. We've been talking about your life, your early life in missions, but let's spend some time now just talking about the plight of believers in countries uh, where it's difficult to be a believer. Uh, I know you and I have talked about believers in Turkey and uh, maybe doing a little bit of history here, but you know, in the beginning of the 20th century, there was a massacre of Armenian Christians, perhaps two million uh, died from the Ottoman Turks. It was an ethnic cleansing, Syriac Christians, maybe, I don't know, you maybe Greek know, Christians Greek Christians as well. Uh, they were slaughtered in mass which has resulted in Turkey today being primarily devoid of all Christians. They either fled or died. Um, so that's what's happened in history. Is there a church, a vibrant church there today? And how do we pray for them? The attention, or Turkey got our attention when a German missionary was murdered by a bunch of nationalists who came from the city of Erzurum, which is the world headquarter of the Grey Wolves, a pan-Turkic nationalist movement. When it mixes with Islam, it, it is uh, quite a force to be reckoned with. And uh, at the time when there was such a setback in mission, we were asking with my friends in our mission, would you, dear God, allow us to stand in the gap and then we went to Turkey to speak to Turkish national leaders, 
Christian leaders and ask whether they could see a role for us. We also met with long-term missionaries there. So you you had an opportunity to meet uh, a doctor that had worked for the Grey Wolves that were persecuting believers. I um, was a church planter myself among an unreached people group of uh, mostly Muslim convictions. And um, when I injured myself, I got into a clinic. This We're talking Northern Caucasus, which is in the south of Russia. Yeah. But there is a, a whole series of mostly Muslim republics, right. Chechnya being the most famous or infamous one. And um, when I, I met this doctor, he, he, he related to me that he is uh, part of the Grey Wolves movement, the Pan-Turkic nationalist movement. But um, knowing some of the track record of that organization didn't mean I have now rejected the doctor. I actually took care of him. We became friends. And soon later, he, he developed uh, brain cancer. But um, God used um, my family and, and to relate to him, to his wife, to his children, and uh, be a witness even, even among a person like that. It's, our, it's, our, it's the mission of every single believer to love our enemies, to yeah. be good to those who persecute us. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we do remember our martyrs, but we don't seek the death of those who martyred our people. Yes. When we, when we engaged in Turkey the now, now our, our heart went out actually to the Turks because there seemed to be, uh, they seemed to be closed to the gospel, not by the law, uh, not by out so of in, forces. So on paper, Turkey today is a secular nation. It was a sec. It, it, by paper, it's a secular nation. With yeah, of course, uh, Istanbul has the highest density of mosques in the world, and for many years it was the lead country uh, of the Muslim world. But people have still have choices, but they were close to the gospel, and and we prayed that God would forgive the Turks, yeah. uh, the massacres of a hundred years ago. And God says, if there is any repentance over the over the sin of the land, He will be able to heal the land. And we prayed for repentance in Turkey and for healing of the land that God would prosper Turkey and grow His church in Turkey, because the Turks are not any further away from the gospel, the culture of it, the teachings of it, than our Canadians, Americans, or Germans. And so to be a witness for Christ in their midst when they revere Jesus already as a prophet, just revealing Which is already to them, more than you see in many Western countries. Yes. And when there is a religious antenna, you can actually talk about religion with Turks, just be introducing Jesus to them. But then we also found that when we were engaging, Istanbul already had 48 Protestant churches. Wow. And I was totally surprised. Um, it didn't fit my uh, stereotypes. Like on the exit, I saw stacks of Bibles. Take them along, give them to your friends idea. So Istanbul is maybe not typical of all of Turkey, but there was a significant degree of freedom. So God opens doors in places where we wouldn't expect it. Yeah. I, you know, something that's wonderful about living in the day that we live in, we're seeing the growth of the Christian church in areas where perhaps we've never seen a growth before, and yet we see God doing some remarkable things in our day. Um, let's, let's move from Turkey for just a moment. 
I know that you've done work going east from Germany. You've, uh, you've been in the Caucasus in a number of different regions. Um, tell us about the health of the church in, um, in maybe the former Soviet Union, uh, which is Russia. You're in the Ukraine a lot. I know there's tension in the Ukraine. People are afraid of warfare. Uh, how's the church doing? The church um, in, let's, let's begin with Russia. Uh, the Protestant church has a difficult standing in the country. Um, it's considered um, canonical territory of the Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. And the, traditionally, the church of, in Russia is intertwined with government, mm-hmm. has been that bonded, bond had been broken by the communist revolution, but it's fully intact again. And then the Protestants kind of fight for their place under the sun. (laughs) But um, they have seen a lot of setbacks recently. Seminaries being closed, the Pentecostal seminary, the Baptist seminary in Moscow is being closed. Other Bible institutions also uh, facing restrictions. Some of the church life has been pushed out of the public eye. Um, even a public baptism recently was treated as a demonstration that is prohibited by law. So um, the church in Russia, though it's alive, uh, I don't see it as strong and growing fast. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the Protestant church. Right. My hope, of course, for a country like Russia, the size of Russia, is that people who know God's name, who know who have scriptures, accessible, that there would be a, a revival and a renewal in the Orthodox Church. Very good. But in other places, like Ukraine, we have the opposite. This, there's no country on earth where the freedom of religion is so high as it is in Ukraine. No restrictions, access to anything that is government. The government is... And in, the, in that environment, how's the church doing? And it's spreading and yeah. it's, in, it's um, enjoying the window of opportunity. Because in the U- Ukraine, again, 30 years ago, uh, the Bible wa- was being hidden and the church was underground. But now it's uh, thriving. And we have, we've seen rapid church planting and engaging in, in many ministries that are faith-based, but in great collaboration with the state authorities. Now, Johan, we could go on talking about one country after another, and I know time will not allow us to do that. But I think we need to bring this home and talk about uh, believers in this country and maybe in the Western world. Um, You know, we hear about politics around the world. We hear about governments around the world. How educated should believers be about the universal church, about the global church? The church is uh, struggling in most places. Recently, I was with my American friends, and um, Hillary Clinton said something around Easter about the resurrection folks. And a lot of my American friends were so upset and saying, you know, this is persecution. But I have seen persecution at a completely different level. that's not persecution. (laughs) In in many places. So while you lament uh, how forces in society push back Christian witness and church-based ministries, both in Canada and the U.S., I would also say side with the church elsewhere. Come alongside. Be on the side of the church of Jesus Christ. Know your brothers and sisters. We have more in common with our brothers and sisters who live in another country than we do with our fellow countrymen who do not know Christ. Yes. 
Um, you know, we've had a wonderful conversation. We're going to have to draw it to an end. Johan, it is a wonderful thing. Perhaps we'll have you again in the future, but may the Lord bless you in your ministry. Thank you. Thankful for you. Um, thanks for being here. Thank you. It's important to face these realities because unless we do, we'll never know what to do next. Well, if you've got nothing else from uh, today's interview with Johann Matis, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that if you're a believer in Jesus today, that you start praying for the global church. People all around the world that worship in relative freedom, but there are people all around the world who today are risking their lives when they come together and celebrate the glory of Jesus Christ. Think about them. Take the global church in your prayers to God. And if you can do something else, you might look at some country in the world where, where the Christian gospel is both flourishing and yet oppressed at the same time. Learn everything you can about that country and begin to pray fervently for brothers and sisters in Jesus. And if today you don't yet know Christ and you're wondering, what's all this about? I mean, why are people risking their lives for Christ? Let me tell you this. Jesus Christ is the most beautiful name that this world has. Jesus Christ forgives sins and reconciles people to God. Jesus Christ gives purpose and joy and meaning. Jesus Christ can change your life. And you too can have the same passion that you've witnessed today. Get to know Jesus and get to know his mission. There's nothing in the world like it. This is really living. Uh, thanks for joining us today, and please make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more interviews, episodes, and Bible teaching content. Uh, thanks for joining us today.